Hi, I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And you're listening to Hawk Talk. Where we talk hawks. Now, normally, this would be Jay and Miles explain the X, and then a walk through the ins, outs, retcons, clones, and time travel of comics' greatest superhero soap opera, but once every four weeks, we take a week off from our exhaustively researched and produced podcast, and, and we just, just kind of talk about stuff. Hawks, really, mainly. Uh, just hawks. Uh, we should note, going in, this episode is not edited. It is entirely off the cuff. It is entirely unplanned. So if it is your first episode, we do not recommend it as something that will give you a general sense of what we do. Yeah, we're normally way better than this. I mean, I guess it sort of depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for just a couple of guys rambling nerdily on the internet, then, well, A, you have about 35,000 options, and B, uh, we gotcha with this episode. Well, once every four weeks we gotcha. Otherwise, uh, we're, we're pretty careful. Yeah, yeah, otherwise we, we have Matt Hunter using his incredible skills and magics. Uh, but speaking of magics... That's right. What are this week's hawks, Miles? This week's hawks are goddamn wizards is what they are. Uh, Jay, credit to you for, for choosing wizards as a topic. I do both enjoy and am challenged by how, as we keep doing Hawk Talk for way longer than we initially intended, our topics are just getting more and more, like, esoteric. I liked the week we did vegetables. That went surprisingly well, yeah. But anyway, this week we are talking about uh, wizards, some of whom I guess could be vegetables. Are there, ve are there vegetable wizards? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen Veggie Tales, but if it goes Old Testament, then um, in the Torah there are definitely some rabbis who are effectively wizards. So, eh? wouldn't they be clerics if we're going by D and D class? I guess maybe we should start by defining wizards for our purposes. Oh boy. Okay. So, uh, wizards, man, uh, and and listeners, we should um, emphasize that this is not any kind of area of expertise of uh, either of us. We should also say off the cuff or off the top top thing thing now we say words um that we are not going to be discussing um harry potter because fuck jk rowling yeah yeah that um that whole situation makes me sad but uh but there are lots of other wizards around in the world wizards um, who don't shit themselves at random oh god yeah yeah i mean even before rowling went all turf there was the whole wizard shitting on the floor thing listeners i would say look it up but honestly like d don't it's not worth it it's word of god canon is what it is Oh boy. Well, anyway, that aside. Okay, so wizards, you know, magic users, spellcasters, often with staves and robes and sometimes beards, but not necessarily by any means. Hats, you can't forget the hats. Hats are important, not required, but important. I mean, okay, so let's be real. You and I are both, among other things, or at least especially used to be when we were younger, fantasy nerds, like sword and sorcery nerds. So I feel like I can certainly speak for myself and say my conception of wizards comes from all of that D&D slash Tolkien-related stuff. Mine comes from all of that, but has been significantly, if, if gently, shifted by Discworld. Okay, yeah, yeah, Pratchett, his take on wizards is great. Uh, yeah. my, my Discworld knowledge is more limited than yours, I know. Yeah, I mean, for me, there, there's a lot about wizardry in, in Discworld that I really enjoy because of the details of it. Um, but the, the biggest principle of, of, of wizardry in Discworld is, I think, one that, that tends to work across the, the genre, which is that wizards see things as they are. Okay, eyes unclouded, or whatever, to cut to the, the magical core of the, the matter. I mean, eyes unclouded by reality, not so much eyes unclouded by things like liquor and hubris. I feel like hubris is not a required component for wizardry, but certainly a recommended one. 
So all the things we've discussed so far are things that could apply to sorcerers too, or could apply to any any number of magic users. And for me, I guess a fundamental aspect of wizardry is study. Yeah, and I mean, if you're going with D&D, especially, when were Sorcerers created? Was that third edition sometime, Sorcerers as we know them? That sounds about right. Yeah, that was the distinction. Like, wizards prepare their spells, they have spell books, they're, they're great big nerds, and Sorcerers just have, like, inherent magic, whether it's because they have the blood of dragons, or, like, they're chaos-touched, or, or whatever. Or the so, blood of Dracula. Uh, oh man. No, uh, Vampire Wizards, those are the Tremere, I believe, as I recall. Yes, correct. Uh, in World of Darkness, yes. So, um, yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like, uh, the whole wizard studying things, like, wizards are almost inherently academics, or at least historians, or at least very interested in, in knowledge as a pursuit. Mm hmm So... Uh, I mean, okay, let's let's go back to the start of, I would say, wizards as most of us know them. I mean, we, we gotta give it up for Tolkien. Like, Gandalf is sort of the archetype of, I would say, most modern fantasy wizards. I suppose. But, but Gandalf but is Merlin. kind of his... No, Merlin is the archetype. Uh, true, but I feel like in terms of mainstream depictions, like, Gandalf just was so vividly realized. I mean, Merlin somewhat, but like, a lot of those aesthetics, as I recall, come from the sword and the stone, right? I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not entirely. I'm, I'm familiar with the original text, and I'm familiar with with the with some some novel adaptations of Arthur, but not so much with with the the screen ones. I just I just want to see the character sheet from Le Mort d'Artour. Yeah, um, it, 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 Mallory was 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 kind of a min maxer. Probably into Thacko. Jeez. Uh, but I, again, that's I'll point why he's out. In prison. Oh, that's right. It's, it's a crime. Uh, we're, we're not experts, listeners. We're, we're talking out of our wizardly asses. Um, but, you know, the thing with, with Lord of the Rings, so Gandalf is not a human who studied a bunch. Gandalf is like a different species of creature. All the wizards are. They're like these long-lived demigods, essentially. So like lizards? Uh, like lizards. They're lizard wizards. Isn't there a band? Like something gizzard and the lizard wizard? I don't remember. I, I don't. I don't know. There's I think a band there called is. Wizard Attack. There's a band called the Austin Lounge Lizards, and that's about as far as I can get on that. Sorry. There's a band called White Wizard, and I really, really liked them, but then I listened to their lyrics, and they got a little iffy sometimes, so I stopped listening to them. But um, anyway, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think that makes Gandalf less wizardy in that regard, because he still very much is an academic and a historian. He's all about knowing things and, and learning things and managing uh, information and data and knowledge. Yeah, he's got the beard, he's got the hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the Hobbit movies, you get some more wizards. You get the seventh doctor with bird shit on his head. That was, that was weird. That, that was a thing. It was a thing. Uh, I've but... Only, I've only ever seen the, the our, our friend Indy's cut of the Hobbit movies, where he, he took them and recut them so that they follow the book. So yeah. So I've, I've seen a, about a third of the Hobbit movies in total, but but different pieces of each one. Uh, you know, there was some very good dwarf stuff in those movies. There was a lot of good uh, good beardery and beard ornamentation, and that was my favorite part. So I feel like that's that's an important tangent to go to, because, you know, we've, we've mentioned beards a few times with regards to wizards, and I think of beards as a fundamentally wizardly thing, but by the same token, I would say male wizards are vastly, vastly overrepresented in fantasy, or at least are, are nominally so, because it, it occurred to me as we were talking that maybe maybe wizards are like Discworld dwarves, where they have huge beards. Maybe. And I feel like we should throw in a disclaimer about how, like, you know, gender and beard havingness don't necessarily line up, but I think 
certainly in much uh, fantasy literature, they have. Well, they, they don't entirely in the real population, but statistically, the ability to grow a beard on that magnitude is more likely to... Anyway. I felt like you were going to say to grow a beard on command, which actually was a wizard thing from Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkind. Uh, Zedekas Zul Zorander was demonstrating the difference between additive and subtractive magic, and he talked about how he couldn't make his beard disappear. He had to, like, cut it, but he could make it grow by stroking his chin, and there was just more beard with every chin stroke. God damn it, I wish I could do that. I wish I could, too. Um, listeners, you can't see, but in a rare moment, I am mustache only right now. I, I shaved down to a mustache to celebrate my second vaccine shot. Um, so seeing myself in our little, like, video chat that we do is very strange, and I feel almost blasphemous when we're talking about wizards right now. Yeah, but you can still grow a proper beard. I'm, I'm still in, in, in sort of awkward stages there. I am behind you in every step of your beard journey, Jay. No, no, you're ahead of me. We just established that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so that, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I know we weren't going to talk Rowling, but Rowling specifically, in retrospect, maybe, uh, makes sense, had a distinction between wizards and witches, but I feel like a lot of fantasy and mythology does. Like, wizardry seems to be considered such a masculine thing, and I'm sure there were plenty of counterexamples, but I don't know very many. So I feel like that has a lot to do with the traditional and very patriarchal devaluation of things that are related to the household sp sphere. Um, or local stuff. This is this is why you see the majority of people who describe themselves as cooks or who, who are really good home cooks are women. The majority of people who are capital C chefs are men who have positions of authority within within like industrial and, and restaurant kitchens. Um, it's why you see in, in, you know, traditional fantasy, why you see a distinction between formal academic magic and hedge magic, um, the latter of which tends to be the provenance of women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with 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 sort of gender essentialism in 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 category, fictional categories of magic users is that you, we we live in a culture that that says you know tailor is a different job from seamstress. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point, and I'd and love to see bullshit. that. Uh, it, it it's totally some bullshit. Uh, you know, weirdly to just totally jump genres here. So one of the things I had in my my mental list of stuff we should talk about in talking about wizards, is Final Fantasy. Because Final Fantasy 1, when I think uh, mages and wizards, I think of the characters from that game. I think of the Black Mage, with uh, the Black Mage's, like, void instead of a face and blue robes and big straw hat. I think of the White Mage, with the white robes, with the red lining. And what's interesting there, and in the franchise in general, is that typically you have magic users, uh, both both men and women, the men tend to be using black magic, more destructive magic. The women, white magic, more healing magic. And yeah, that seems to tie into kind of what you were talking about. Yep. Hmm. Although Final Fantasy VI was kind of an exception, but that was a great game in a lot of ways. Well, and you, you see them, they're, they're called mages specifically in that. I wonder, do you, do you see any distinction between mages and wizards? What, what to what extent is there? Because I always thought of mages as kind of a catch-all term. Well, in Final Fantasy One, you're a mage until you hit your big class change, and then you sort of like grow up into a wizard. Okay, but so mages are larval wizards. Yes, yes, they're just pulsating, limbless grubs that can cast magic. I mean, I guess that's what's under the black mage's robes. That makes as much sense as anything else. But that's yeah, their I mean, it's it's totally their business. I don't know, though. Spinning off of that, though, like, so you got your black magic, your white magic. I, I'm i a big fan of, like, categories of things in media 
So having your black, white, red, and blue mages in Final Fantasy, having like Gandalf the Gray slash white, Radagast the Brown, the other guy, I think there were like two blue ones maybe, I, I don't remember. But I always love that. I love in Dungeons and Dragons how there are all the different schools of magic, like evocation and divination. And for me, that kind of ties back into the academic thing, because academics are all about that level of categorization and compartmentalization, and it's really fun when you do it with magic stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. So there's a class element then to wizardry too, because it involves having access to that traditional academic setting. True, true. I mean, I guess it sort of depends. I mean, let's look at... I don't know, let's look at Star Wars, because Star Wars is about, among other things, space wizards. And with them, it's about whether you're Force-sensitive. Now, I don't know if we want to bring midichlorians into this. Like, um, Dave Filoni has made that slightly less onerous in, in his recent Star Wars stuff. But just the idea that magic is this inborn thing that you do or don't have. Uh, the Dragon Age video games are all about that. Like, mages are almost mutants in that regard. And so in that case, you don't really have the academic component at all. Even but, if you need that, the... That... Sorry, that distinguishes those from, say, Dungeons & Dragons, where wizardry, wizardry is all about study, where anyone theoretically can become a wizard if they have access to the right materials. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that probably depends on campaign setting. I don't know. But, uh, so what? what's our verdict? Do we think um, academics required? Yes, no. I think book learning required. I think, I think in theory, the distinction between, between hedge magic and formal magic is an artificial one. I've also, oh, speaking of, of awesome books, I need to, um, I, I've been reading uh, Zen Cho's Sorcerer to the Crown, which is an awesome subversion of and take on an examination of exactly that dichotomy that I described. Oh, word. Um, okay. And which, which does really examine the extent to which less, what, what are termed lesser or hedge magics in that world are a sphere to which female practitioners are relegated largely because they don't have access to the more formalized schools of magic and to the resources that go with that. Fascinating. And so it's assumed that they don't have the, the proclivity or, or talent for, for those, those that, that more advanced, more refined magic, but it's, it's actually basically a self-fulfilling prophecy based on lack of access. I love that we have this fictional concept that we can go into that level of depth and metaphor with. I suppose it makes sense that I would enjoy that. I mean, we're, we're freaking X-Men podcasters. That's kind of our deal, like superpower metaphors. I think I've talked up Zen Cho before, but um, Cho is, is one of my favorite, favorite writers. Oh, sweet. My, my endless list does include Zen Cho. Good. Oh, geez. Okay, so... Wizard. So we were talking about the book learning thing. We've talked about D&D &D some. I feel like we have to talk about systems of magic in Dungeons and Dragons. We have to talk about Vancean spellcasting. Oh, shit. Okay, so, uh, Jay, would, would you like to cover this or shall I? Like, just what that thing is for any listeners unfamiliar. Miles, as, as you are the one who had the foresight to bring it up, I will happily cede the explanation to you. Okay, so I don't remember where the name comes from. Presumably someone named Vance. But... In um, many editions of D&D, &D, not all, wizards and certain other characters have to um, prepare their magic every day, and then they have different slots, spell slots at different levels they can use for it. So essentially, you prepare your spell, sometimes you'll like uh, memorize and, and say all but the last word of it, but then once you cast the spell, it like goes out of your mind, or at least that slot does, that option does. 
This is really cool flavor-wise. I love the idea that your brain can only contain spells for so long up until they're, like, brought into the world. Mechanics-wise, this is why I always played fighters when I was a kid. Because it is so much bookkeeping. You're just drowning in options. You're super worried that whatever spells you pick for the day and memorize for the day will end up being the wrong ones. Like, I see the appeal, but I like the fluff a lot more than the crunch in that regard. And as somebody who grew up on Final Fantasy video games, just having a pool of magic points, well, I mean, after the early, early games, uh, is just so much easier. Then you can just cast fire when you need fire, and like, I don't know unblind when you need unblind. I do like the idea that there's a limited volume of magic that the human mind can hold and that it's fundamentally a temporary hold. But I think you're right that that's a conceit that works better narratively than mechanically. Yeah. But it's uh it's cool because I mean like it ties it ties the idea of magic to this this almost uh larger realm that is that is beyond human. And so you as a wizard or a mage or a hedge mage or or whatever, you're just tapping into this larger thing, be it through study or innate ability or rolling dice. So <laughs> that sort of we 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 talked about mechanics of wizards. We talked a little bit about fiction. What are your what are your sort of definitive wizards? What are your favorite fictional wizards? Uh, well, there was Fred Savage's little brother in The Wizard, of course. He got oh. the high score on uh, Double Dragon, was it? Yes, he did. Um, okay, no, aside from that. So, growing up on that early fantasy, um, I, I as you did, I read a lot of Dragonlance. For me, mm -hmm. Raceland Majir from Dragonlance was a big one. You know, the sickly, frail, knowledge and power obsessed younger brother of the big galoot Caraman who, and he, Raceland ends up going evil and has hourglass eyes that can see everything dying all the time. Now, Raceland notably didn't have a beard. Did that influence your archetypal sense of what wizards are? So Raceland didn't have a beard, but Fizbin, the other major wizard in the Dragonlance Chronicles, who it turned out was kind of like big metal good guy god in disguise, he had a great big beard. He was basically just straight up Gandalf. So I feel like you had your two archetypes represented really well there. Okay. Um, aside from that, I mean, of course you got your Gandalf, obviously. Uh, Flight of Dragons, which I think we talked about in a previous Hawk Talk, the um, Rankin-Bass oh, yeah. animated movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carolinus, the green wizard in that, was it, it very much your stereotypical wizard. Like, big hook nose, giant beard, robes, channels earth magic by chanting nonsense, that sort of thing. Uh, he was up there. Uh, and, you know, the Final Fantasy mages, but I think less so. Um, what about you, Jay? Well, I am I am a big fan of, of Rincewind from Discworld. I, spe specifically for two reasons. Um, the first is David Jason's portrayal in the movie version of The Color of Magic. So the first Discworld book, it's fun, it's not the best. Aging Rincewind makes him a much, much more interesting character. So he is a wizard who accidentally caught a spell that is so major and so earth-shaking that he can never use it and he can never learn enough magic to be able to use it, but he is still fundamentally and identifies himself as, and it's important to him that he is a wizard. He has a hat that says wizard and it has two Zs, making it extra official. <laughs> And having him be a fairly young student to whom this has happened is fun and interesting. Having him be an elderly man who has gone through his entire life with this really changes the dynamic of it, and I think in, in very, very cool ways. The other Rincewind moment I absolutely love is in a novel called Sorcery, 
Um, one of the things that's that's fundamental to wizards in Discworld is that in times of trouble, wizards attempt to build wizards build towers. Like tower building is instinctual for wizards, and they're fighting this this horrible, you know, incredibly powerful foe. And Rincewind is of course totally magically useless. Like he knows a lot, but he can't he can't do anything with it because you know, of the the same situation that he's been stuck in. And there's there's a lot of specific contrast between him and this sorcerer who's someone who has just really innate magical powers and can of course use them all with ease and a lot of sort of and and he comes off you know looking very very fake in comparison and at one point in the middle of this he's sleepwalking and he's just picking up stones and putting them in a circle and piling them and one of the other character realized characters realize that what he's trying to do in his sleep is build a tower because it's so innate like wizardry is so innately hardwired into who he is even if it's not what he can do oh man that's that's delightfully tragic yeah i think that's that's a really cool moment the other thing i mean you you talked much 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 earlier and i think we should talk about this more but about about uh rabbis and wizardry because while it's specifically not wizardry it's it these are these are sort of more cleric class like a lot of the wizard figures i grew up with were were like reading reading you know martin buber's tales of the Siddim and stuff like that so you know balsham tov type fun yeah so for listeners who aren't familiar um this is a jewish thing but it's not like a, a sort of core jewish thing but old jewish folklore cool. There were these rabbis who basically were wizards. Like, yes, it was based on god power stuff. It's, it's like, based on knowing the true name of God and being able to speak it without being struck by lightning. Being yeah. Being pious to speak it without being struck by lightning. So, you know, uh, careful with, with anybody saying God. That's not his true name, I guess. Otherwise, lightning. Um, but it's really fun. Like, they are these beings of, like elemental power and they can you know create golems and they can control elements and fight demons and stuff and and nobody remembers that and that's one of the most fun parts of jewish mythology it's very 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 cool um yeah so that's that's and also i mean i feel like you see a lot of a lot of aesthetic similarities to fantasy wizards the tradition of long beards large hats etc robes absolutely well and i and... wonder and that, that leaves me wondering to what extent those archetypal fantasy wizards are literally based on rabbis. Like, I, just, I literally don't know, but it, it seems like too close a comparison to completely overlook. Well, I do know that there's the matter of the lich, which in, like, D&D-style fantasy is an undead wizard who has uh, stored their soul within a phylactery somewhere. And a phylactery, that's like an Orthodox Jewish piece of prayer equipment, right? I mean, it's a general term that, among other things, refers to that. Okay, yeah. Um, so I, again, I'm not sure either about the origins, but that seems to be definitely a connection. So I'm assuming there's there's something of a relationship there historically. Well, we know, for instance, like a lot of a lot of the stereotypes around witches specifically come from from medieval anti-Semitic stuff. Oh, man, history. Why you got to be such a dick about things? Well, including the pointed hats, which is the point that I kind of want to come back to here with with wizards. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Rinchwin because you'd, has have, one of you'd those. have countries or regions where literally Jews were required to wear these specific hats. They were required to. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, it was a, as a as a visual signifier to keep to keep them from um, integrating into into Christian society. Again, God damn it, history. Right. Yeah. Uh. Well, at least some of them were 
presumably Balsham Tov and thus wizards. Eh, I guess it's less fun when you work in like actual bigoted history. It is, but it's it's also again interesting to contrast that to the witch stereotype. Um because I mean wizards we think of as as the good guys. They're they're magical, they're powerful. They're generally considered good magic users, while again the 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 visually closest female archetype are are default to to being classified as evil. That is a very good point, and and that is unfortunate. Uh, anyone in charge of I don't know wizardry and witchcraft? Let's let's make that cooler gender wise. What do you say? Word. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we talked about you know a number of different categories. Um, one thing I feel like we should talk about is uh, our own wizardly experience, because we have certainly both played wizardy characters in role-playing games, right? We have. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to talk about some of the characters you've played? I mean, I remember your sorcerer most vividly in terms of casters, but... Yeah, I've played more sorcerers than wizards, which is funny because when it comes to actually standing myself up as a class, I, I tend to go for wizard because a lot of my powers are heavily research-based. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that's part of the fun of role-playing. Like, we play characters that are not much like ourselves. Like, for instance, one of the D&D characters I played the longest was Odleif Jarlson in a uh, Norse-inspired D&D game that you, of course, were, were also in. And he was all about the, the the research and the information, but mainly he was a wizard that was kind of trying to be a bard, you know, telling stories, collecting stories, getting people really psyched about things. It's just that you know, uh, with Norse mythology, with the way we were interpreting it for the game, that and magic were, were kind of similar. But it was fun playing a character who was just that excited about book learning, speaking as somebody who uh, burned out, out on that many, many years ago. As someone who's in the process of applying to grad school, I, I gotta say. Um, no, um, I, I, that, that aspect of wizardry is one that, that definitely appeals to me. Again, more narratively than than practically when it comes to games. I find fancy and spellcasting and magic point systems kind of a pain. Yeah, it's easier to just, you know, hit, hit, hit the bad guy with your mace. Or your fire. As the case may be, if you're a sorcerer. So, okay, uh, we have to talk about Magic the Gathering, because Magic the Gathering is a game that is literally all about magic. Like, all the important people are magic users, uh, many summoners, but just various types of spells. But what I love about it is the five different, like, categories of magic, the five colors that uh, the world is divided into. Like, I, I mentioned my love of, of categorizing things, but was that something that ever appealed to you, Jay? Like, I know we've both played a lot of magic. I mean... It was it was fine. I, I found the divisions a little bit ridiculous. Um, I was mostly in it for the art. I also don't remember having having particularly noticed a lot of a lot of um, memorable wizards in it. Uh, well, I think that's because like the the players themselves are for the most part supposed to be wizards. As I understand, modern sets have like planeswalkers, which are the big important wizards, as cards sometimes, but that didn't used to be the case. So it was more just like you know you were having a wizards duel with someone as represented by your deck of very expensive cards. I see, I see. So, so you are you are the wizard in that. You are the wizard. Yes. Um, and I don't know, just like... Uh, so, I majored in psychology 1,000 years ago, and one of my favorite, not very valid types of psychology was trait psychology. And so I always was like, oh, you know, in this trait psychology system I'm discovering, how, what would I be like? What would my friends be like? And you can kind of do that in Magic the Gathering as well. Um, so the red-white deck I was playing, like, Order and Passion, I eventually realized, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just playing myself as a wizard in this game, and I thought I just was playing the cards that I liked, but, huh. 
I mainly remember you playing that one blue deck that had a bunch of counter spells and was <laughs> challenging to uh, survive against. Oh yeah, that deck was a joke though. I had the, this this blue deck that was completely not tournament legal. Um, that could not win. Um, or or pretty much could not win, but it could basically paralyze and heckle an opponent almost endlessly. Like, its function was not victory, its function was just horribleness. It, uh, speaking as someone who played against that deck a number of times, it, it succeeded. The fun part was that Allison also had a permission deck that was, was similarly balanced, and I think we once played, like, a four-hour game using those. <laughs> which she ultimately won, but, uh, that, that was a lot of fun. But, you know, I feel like uh, cleverness, another core wizard trait right there, and one represented largely by the blue color in Magic, as, as I recall. Um, and sometimes that cleverness means you're just kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, I feel like wizards play rogues in D&D. Oh, okay. Oh, man, this is like a whole other topic here. You know, how, what, what to fictional... You know, didn't we cover that once, actually, in the podcast, what D&D classes different X-Men would play? Yeah, the X-Men don't include many wizards. But they do include future Iceman, who we loved so much that Iceman with a wizard beard is even one of our Patreon support levels. It's true, the best one, in fact. Uh, yeah, so, okay. Anyone who hasn't read it, there was a story. I know we don't normally talk X-Men on Hawk Talk, but we have to talk Iceman with a wizard beard. It's yeah, just... it's, it's, it's wizard relevant. Oh, absolutely. Iceman so... becomes an ice wizard. Yeah, there's a, there's a story called Battle of the Atom where we see the characters, some of the characters in the future, and he's a wizard. He's got, like, an ice robe and an ice staff and an ice beard, and he summons a bunch of ice golems. And it's delightful. I love the idea of Bobby Drake, possibly the least focused, least studious of the major X-Men characters, ending up as a goddamn wizard. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, we could probably tie that into the stuff we're talking about in the 90s with him coming to terms with his powers, which is to say sexuality, which is to say powers. Does that mean that, at least in the case of Iceman, the gayer he gets, the more mystical power he has? Miles, that's true in general. That's just how queerness works. Shit. So well, that's awesome. i tell you that. You're straight. But yeah. That's, Not that's like that's 100%. I have a little bit of magical powers. A little bit. <laughs> see now you know why oh okay it all comes together this yeah. all makes yeah. sense yeah. but yeah x-men doesn't really have i mean you had a lot of magic-y stuff but very few straight up wizards in the x-men you know i mean they hang out with wizards they hang out with dr strange he's very okay he's a sorcerer technically but in the ways that we've been describing it he's a wizard he's all about that book learning he's he's weird enough to be a wizard yeah okay so that's the thing should wizards be weird should they just be bizarre and confusing to the people around them or should yes. they just be okay profound eccentricity is fundamental to wizardhood do you have a favorite uh example of wizardly eccentricity in fiction or otherwise no just in general i i feel like wizards should just be ludicrously you know wizardly okay i i'm into that um yeah that's one thing with i i, I gotta take it back to star wars because again space wizards that I wish we got more of, like, our space wizards largely just fight with laser swords and use telekinesis, but the really bizarre stuff that you get in some corners of the expanded universe is just so much fun. Like, when you get into Force Ghost land and, like, communing with uh, weird spirits of different emotions that wear strange masks and teach you how to live beyond death, like, that's fun. 
And also, it's just nice having wizards in other settings, you know, that aren't just purely medieval stuff. Oh, yeah, but um, I, I feel like, again, they could use more beards. Uh, that's true. I mean, there are some good beards. Obi-Wan's got a pretty good beard. It's a small beard, but it's, it's, it's dense with glory. Mm, small, small but dignified. Mm, that's, that's what I aim for. Small but dignified. Okay, so, we've covered a number of aspects, wizardly and, uh, otherwise. Is, is there anything important that we've, we've missed in our magical journey? Hmm... I'm I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking specifically about um, Sam Jones' Twitter thread, dogs who look like wizards. I am not familiar with this thread, but apparently I need to be. And in general, with with the the tendency of animals to look like wizards, and and there are like there are some types of monkeys that just really have instance. Okay, and uh, I think I know some of the ones you're you're talking about there. Like some of it is wizardly facial hair, and some of it is just them looking very wise and odd. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a huge, huge factor. I, I mean, I think some goats have that going, too. Goat wizards? They've got Oh, kids. geez. Those would be those really annoying wizards we were talking about. Those are the wizards who just steal all your food. Just steal all your food, they scream like human beings, and then your house catches on fire. They, they run around licking rocks. God damn it, those wizards <laughs> that are but, goats. But no, I, I do feel like, actually... Now that I think about it, Goat Simulator is probably one of the better representations of unbridled wizardhood. Okay, in terms of just doing a bunch of random crap on a whim, disrupting the lives of everyone around you through the carnage that you both deliberately and accidentally cause, and breaking physics. Unearthly powers, yeah. I'm, I'm into this. Okay, so if we were to pick a most wizardly creature, do goats win? I think maybe goats win. Again, depends on the wizard archetype. I think there's a lot going for tortoises. Okay, I feel like they have those long lives. They're more likely to have the patience for book learning and fancy and spellcasting. They're distinguished, um, which, you know, they've, they've got that end of wizardry down. Okay. And I'm just thinking of wizard ninja turtles? I know so little about ninja turtles these days. As our, our listeners pointed out so many awesome things after our ninja turtles hawk talk, I have so much reading to do. Bearded dragons also have strong wizard energy. Yeah. Okay, okay. I I feel like the furry community would, would know so much about this. I feel like they've thought so much more about this than we ever could. The, the wizard subset of the furry community? Uh, yes. Or, you know, just the furry community in general. They'd be like, oh yeah, those animals there, totally wizards. I mean, not like 100% of them, but like 80%. What if it were an equivalent to furries, but instead of animals, wizards? And you have all your different kinds of wizards, so instead of being like a, a silver fox, you could be you know, a Final Fantasy V-style blue mage or whatever. And they had conventions and cuddled. I'm in favor of all of these things. Also, I just miss both conventions and cuddling. Uh, but, um, yeah, I already got my second shot, so maybe both of those are, are on their way at some point. We'll see how that goes. We'll Wizard see. cons. Probably cuddling. 2022. Okay, 2022 will be the year of cuddling wizard goat conventions. Yes. So I think, I feel like that's that's a good note to end on. Um, 
Thank you for listening to Hawk Talk. Uh, we are Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. We are recording in Forest Hills, New York, and Portland, Oregon. This episode is, as usual for Hawk Talk, entirely unedited, unproduced, and unplanned. But if you want to hear us do our proper thing, uh, tune in anytime to Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, which you can find at explainthexmen.com, also on your friendly local podcatcher. That is actually produced and planned and researched and edited. So um, it's better than this, but fewer wizards. I mean, you know, depending on the arc, maybe more wizards ahead or goats or whatever. But uh, yeah, we'll see you next time with uh, some actual X-Men stuff. And in the meantime, have a magical week.